day, everyone. I hope that you have been enjoying this series of lessons. Uh, I discovered after the last uh, podcast that I can actually record the podcast while I'm recording the video. I can do it simultaneously, so the audio will be better in this podcast. I hope that the last podcast wasn't too bad to listen to. This one will be much clearer, so thankful for that. But other than that, I pray that these are enlightening. I pray that they're enriching your study time. Pray that each of you are being blessed by it. And let's go ahead and start this discussion. Good evening, everybody. I'm getting ready to begin the second lesson in this series of teaching on the GOAT. Um, if you are unaware of what the GOAT is, I recommend you go back and watch the first video. Um, speaking about the greatest of all of these, and I'm going to be discussing um, the biblical perspective of justice and righteousness. Again, I have spoken about those in Lesson 1. Uh, the theme scripture of this series is Matthew 25, in which Jesus illustrates the separation of the sheep and the goats. Uh, the sheep on his right hand were those who treated the least of these with the God-given identity they deserved. And that treatment was equivalent to treating uh, Jesus the same way. Uh, if you feed them, you feed him. If you visit them, you visit him. If you clothe them, you clothe him. To those people, Matthew 25 calls them righteous. Uh, we explored briefly what righteousness meant in the biblical uh, context and terms. And that Hebrew word is tzedakah which is an uh, ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God with the God-given dignity that they deserve. And mishpat, um, which is justice, is what we do to achieve tzedakah. But in this lesson, I want to show you the origin of mishpat and tzedakah. Determining the origin of a matter is crucial to seeing the overall theme of biblical studies. The theme of justice and righteousness, as you will see for yourself, uh, is a major biblical theme. So in this lesson, I want to show the origin of that, and I want to talk to you about justice and the law. I'm going to set myself a 25-minute timer and do my best to adhere to that. Uh, so I'm going to go. I'm going to do just a brief um, biblical survey. I'm going to try to go through a majority of the Old Testament just before Kings. So I'm going to be discussing the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Now I'm going to breeze through several hundred years of content and biblical history, and this is due to time constraints because obviously I'm trying to stick to 25 minutes. Um, now, obviously, every sermon, every lesson that you hear preached or taught uh, relies on the hearer going and doing their due diligence and studying it out. I'm not asking you to take my word for it. I'm welcoming you in to study this out for yourself. So I'm just going to go through the, uh, the history and the timeline, and I'm going to hit the mountaintops and just trust that you will go and study it yourself. So I'm going to start with Genesis 1. I'm going to start with Eden and take a look at some things that we're intended to see there in the beginning. Now, God's ideal community is clearly seen in the garden where man was in harmonic relationship with God and each other. Man was made in the likeness of the highest image in the universe, the image of God. And man was the reflection of that holy God being made in his image. 
This Edenic community was the ideal place. In the garden, there was no need for the death of anything for the sustained life of something else. There was peace even amongst man and the animals. Death in the Edenic community was not known. The entertainment, though, of the sin of rebellion caused a fall off of this holy mountain, and sin was born. Now, with sin in existence on earth, Cain does the unthinkable. Cain murders the highest image on planet earth, the image of God through his brother Abel. Um, this image would share the intellect, the very nature of God, and it is now disregarded through a moment of lawless jealousy. So from here, we extend over the branch of the family tree, and we find a branch off the line of Cain, Lamech. Lamech, uh, if you watched uh, the other series that I did on the day of the Lord, you'll know that it is Hebrew, in the Hebrew, it's king spelled backwards. So we're intended to see that this is a inverted king of sorts. He was the first polygamist in the Bible with multiple wives, and he needlessly murders because his driving motive was, well, if God avenged Cain sevenfold, then I will be avenged 77-fold. Really quickly, what's interesting about Cain is even he killed his brother, God was still just with him. There was a uh, justice. Remember, nine times out of ten in the Old Testament, justice was restorative and not retributive. But there is still that one out of 10 that is re uh, retributive, meaning if you steal, you pay the consequences. If you kill, you pay the consequences. And Cain did pay the consequences, but a just God, in the fear of Cain, he said, everyone will try to kill me. A just God touched him and marked him. Now, don't take this to the bank, but a lot of Jews believe that Cain was marked to be a giant so that no man would try to kill him. We can't say that definitively because the Bible does not give us that information, but we can see that a just God preserved the life of a murderer. So go down the family line. We see Lamech is needlessly murdering, and there's a lot of, of things going on in the narrative. Um, we, we then see the excessive abuse of the disregard of the sanctity of God's image through Lamech. And it's important to note that he took for himself multiple women because there was no institution, there was no law for marriage. We often forget that when we're reading the Bible, that this moment of pre-flood and even after, there was no law. There, they could do whatever they wanted to. He was taking multiple wives and he was mistreating them and, and basically having illicit sex and then giving them away because there was no law telling him he couldn't. There was nothing governing man in these moments. So we see uh, that there was nothing holding man accountable to justice. So God starts over after the flood with Noah and his family, and we begin to see that mankind still has a propensity for devaluing the sanctity of God's image. Because we see even after the flood that mankind is still striving to do their own thing and to abuse justice and righteousness. So God looks for an individual through whom he would start an entire line of new-natured people. This is where we find Abraham. And I'm just giving you this, this brief Bible history lesson so that we can come to a, a conclusion of what God and the Bible is trying to build in our thoughts as we read it. We need to read it in its context. And there's a lot of things going on in these scriptures, but a grand theme is that there was no justice, there was no righteousness, and we're seeing this. We're seeing that our plans don't work is what we're seeing throughout the Old Testament. So we get to Abraham, and uh, he finds Abram. 
in the land of Ur and God calls him out. He makes a promise, aka a covenant with him, that he would make him the father of many sons that would be innumerable and through him all the nations would be blessed through him. So let me read to you a passage from Genesis 18. Listen to what God says to Abraham. So seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Right here, we're seeing that God chose a new, this person to start an entire new line of people, a new natured people. And he said, through Abraham and his children and his generations coming after him, I want to show the world my ways through these people. The ways of the Lord, I want them to do righteousness and justice. There, that, there's the words, there's our theme words, sedekah and mishpat. I'm going to show my ways through these people so that the Lord may bring Abraham to what he has promised him. In spite of all the lawlessness that was going on in the world, God calls out Abraham and says, you will hold up a banner, Abraham, to show the lawless world what I'm like. We have to get this. This particular scripture is not taught, in my opinion, nearly enough. This was the point of calling Abraham out. He wanted a whole new line of people. And he said, I want you to hold up the banner and I want you to show the world what I'm like by showing forth righteousness and justice. You and the line of people that come out of your household will herald my nature in the world as a witness. So from Abraham, we get Isaac. From Isaac, we get Jacob. From Jacob, we get the 12 sons uh, who would later comprise the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And one of those sons, which was Joseph, is granted favor in Egypt. He is a guest in the land of Egypt. He was a prisoner at first, and then he was welcomed in as an equal by Pharaoh. And he brought in later towards the end of his life a total of 72 people from the family of Abraham move into Egypt. Next, at the beginning of the book of Exodus, we're introduced to a major character, Pharaoh. And the Bible is very clear. There's no empty words in the Hebrew. It says that Pharaoh did not know Joseph. What the author of Exodus is wanting us to ponder as we read that particular verse is, so this is what we can then begin to expect this is what happens to a society when people forget about the hospitality of a guest. Pharaoh forgot that they were hospitable to Joseph, that they were righteous and just to this man. And because of that, God used Joseph to warn them of a coming plague. And there was a Pharaoh that came up that didn't know any of that history. That's important as we look later on at the kings who forget history as well. But that's an entirely other lesson. So Pharaoh then begins to persecute God's image. And thus Israel ends up as immigrant slaves who are being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And they lift up their hands and they cry out unto God. And God hears the cries of the vulnerable people in that society. What, the, what we're seeing here is that God is getting ready to do something. And the Bible shows us that he confronts this evil society declaring them to be wicked according to the book of Exodus, which is the Hebrew word rasha. It is the polar opposite of the, the word mishpat. It is, it is the antithesis to mishpat. For rasha means to abuse or to take advantage of. And we're seeing that Pharaoh and his people were the opposite of righteousness of mishpat and sedekah. So after God heard the cry of his people who were being oppressed, he raises up a redeemer out of the line of Levi, Moses. 
God calls them out and we what becomes known, calls them out on the very day and what we celebrate today as Passover. This was the day that they were taken out and this is the whole reason the book is called Exodus. It is the Hebrew word for exiting. They were leaving Egypt and it was on this day of Passover. And now the nation of Israel is in the wilderness on the other side of the Red Sea. Moses is standing there as their leader and God called Redeemer. And they stand at a mountain which is set ablaze. Ironically, when you study it in the Hebrew, it was on the third month and third day, which is Pentecost or Shavuot in Hebrew. And he's standing there and God gives him the tabernacle plan after he calls him up. The Hebrew says he opened up his mouth and out came the, the, uh, an evidence of a voice is what the Hebrew says. And when that evidence came out of his mouth, Moses went through the fire up to the mountain. He got the plans of a tabernacle and he got the law, the Ten Commandments. And we need to see what is taking place in these Ten Commandments. So what a lot of people believe, a lot of scholars, uh, especially Jewish scholars, they, they believe that when God came down and he met with man, he brought with him the Ten Commandments as a peace treaty. There was a total of 10 commandments, and five of those commandments were a peace treaty between God and man. Man who had gotten away from God, and God coming down graciously, justly, and righteously, and gives them a law on how to get the relationship between God and man. You can do a Google search and look up what the 10 commandments are and look them up for yourself. And he's giving them a peace treaty to make the relationship between God and man right. Then he gives a constitution, the other five commandments, and those are to be adhered to their laws to make sure the relationship between people are right. Because having our relationship with God right is only part of the equation. Having our relationship with people, having it in its proper place and it being uh, godly is the other side of the equation. We have a peace treaty between God and man and we have the constitution between fellow people, fellow men. Laws can be, these 10 laws can be broken up into two categories, laws that govern the relationship with God and laws that govern the relationship with other people. This was the entirety of their constitution. Right here, Israel became a nation and this nation of new natured people, they have a place of worship, they have a God, which Deuteronomy 6.4 was their prayer, the Shema prayer, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. They're, they had their one God. They had their constitution on how to live in harmony with one another. And all was right in these moments. They were being herded back to the Edenic community, but as a nation of people, new-natured people. So there are, when you study through the five books of the Bible, you will find that there are a total of 613 laws in the Torah. The word Torah means law. It's the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, written by Moses. These five books will show us 613 total laws. The first 10 commandments are the guiding principles that refer to general situations. These were the entirety of the law. Now, with it doesn't go into a ton of detail. For instance, there was a law in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. Well, the other laws that we see, the 613 laws throughout the Old Testament, they deal with the finer details. So what constitutes murder? What about when you go to war? The 613 laws were added to to help determine the finer points of those laws. And it got overwhelming for them, quite honestly. And there was a great relief when Jesus showed up and he said, upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. We read it last week in Matthew 22. Well, um, this is showing us that this new-natured people needs something that will govern their motives and their actions. 
This is all important because we will kind of glaze over and miss what the New Testament is trying to tell us if we don't grasp these concepts. There was a law given to, again, just like with Abraham, to show God's nature through this nation of people, Israel. Okay? Now, I don't want to get into a lot of it. I'll, I'll go over us and how we play into this as Gentiles and all of that in uh, the third and fourth lessons. But right now, I'm just, I want to build this upon your minds that they had to have a law. Women were highly taken advantage of because there was no law telling them what to do with women. Remember Lamech. And God comes and gives Moses these laws. And he says, thou shalt not commit adultery. That was a gracious law to protect the rights of women. This was to make the men think twice about putting their, these women away. Now there was a binding contract. In Hebrew, it was, it was a literal, you had to get a legal divorce to leave the woman. And it, these, these laws were beginning to protect the sanctity and the rights of people. Now these laws were put into place to protect the citizens of the kingdom of Israel as well as to maintain the relationship between God and man. Their tabernacle was the central edifice to which they would facilitate these relationships. The tabernacle was also the place where they would come and handle judicial matters. Uh, the whole binding and loosing thing that you hear a lot in our apostolic churches, those are law terms. Pharisees were lawyers. They would determine between people and they would bind somebody with the law or they would loose them from their uh, their crime with the law. That's what binding and loosing literally meant in this, this culture. They did their, their law set, they did their law and order at the tabernacle. And when we understand these things, a lot of New Testament scriptures and the words of Jesus will make sense. They make a lot more sense. Um, and I won't go off into all that. I'm sure your mind might be exploding with different scriptures that parallel this in the New Testament. Uh, for example, just one of them, uh, the Bible tells us not to sue a brother. <laughs> It's, it's talking about go to the church, work it out amongst yourselves. Don't take them to court. The, the house of God was the courtroom, and it's, it's calling back to that. So we see these laws in action in how they execute justice. In example, I'm going to show you a scripture in Deuteronomy 18. The Levitical priest, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers, the Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. So what we're seeing right here is Israel has finally gone into their promised land. It's the land of Canaan, not under the leadership of Moses, but now under the leadership of Joshua. And they have spent ample time uh, redeeming the land through warfare. They're finally setting themselves up as a nation and they're dividing up the land. And they start giving portions of the land to the 11 tribes, but to the 12th tribe, the, the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi gets no land. So this makes them vulnerable. They have no food. They can't plant crops. For the Bible says, they shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance. The presence of God, they were basically groundskeepers for the tabernacle. So this left them vulnerable in this society. So there was a law established. So let's read the rest of Deuteronomy 18. And this shall be the priests do. That word do right there is actually mishpat in Hebrew. Uh, we miss some things in, in the English. But this shall be the priest's mishpat from the people. This shall be just is what it's saying. From those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach. The first fruits of your grain, of your wine and your oil, and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give them. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons for all time. This is where tithing began. 
because the priests, the ministers were vulnerable in that society. They were not given any land. They're, they were to take care of the spiritual matters for the people. And the people in appreciation for what they were doing for them spiritually said, we'll take care of you physically. So they brought the first fruits to the priest. And the priest that was vulnerable with no land, the law protected the priest and said, we're going to stipulate a law to protect you who are vulnerable and the people will come and bring a tenth to you. There was nobody in this society that was getting rich. They were taking care of one another. This would be closest to our modern day of socialism. And I know that might make some of you uncomfortable, but a kingdom concept, the way kingdoms work, you and I, we don't have a clue what to do with the Bible sometimes because we don't know how kingdoms work because we live in a democracy. But right here in a kingdom, it's more socialistic. There's people that were saying, we're going to give of ourselves to make sure that everybody around us is taken care of. And we're seeing that it's a lot like Eden right here. There was a law established to take care of the people. And this was counted towards them, the Bible said, as mishpat. It was just. It was just for the tribes of Israel to feed these priests because they were taking care of them spiritually. So the next portion of people within this society we see in Zechariah 7. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments is the word mishpat there. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil. There's that word again. It's rasha, against another in your heart. This is the same word for wickedness that we saw in Exodus. It's the antithesis to, judge, uh, to justice. And what we're seeing in the scripture is that there were four other people within the society of Israel that were vulnerable. It was the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor. These were, these uh, theologians call this the quartet of the vulnerables. Um, the word judgments, as I mentioned, is the word mishpat. And the just thing to do in this society, the law stipulated for them, you protect them, they're vulnerable. So what they would do is um, when the people, same people, the 11 tribes, what they would do is when they were threshing the wheat, they would take stalks of wheat from their field and they would thresh it on the ground and they would beat the wheat. And when the gleanings would fall off of it, they would beat it one time. The gleanings that fell were theirs. They took that and they left the wheat. Then the widow, the immigrant, the, which is the, the word sojourner, the widow, the sojourner, the orphan, and the poor could then come and beat and get the second gleanings, the third gleanings, the fourth gleanings. And this was just for them. What they were doing was they were saying, we don't need all of this. We have plenty. We will give you. This is all in the Bible. This is very clearly laid out in the Bible. There's also a law in the Bible that shows, I don't want you to trim the corners of your crops. The corners of your crops are to be left for the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor. They are vulnerable in this patriarchal farming society. These are the ones who are vulnerable in this society. So give from your excess. You don't need this entire field. Take what you and your family need and then leave the rest. Give a tenth to the priest and leave the rest for the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor. This was justice in the law. And by adhering to these things, there was, there was no need for the death of any for the sustained life of anyone else. Here, the widow was taken care of, the immigrant was taken care of, the orphan was taken care of, and the poor could have food. In the society, this was counted unto them as mishpat and righteousness, sedekah. If they adhered to these stipulations of maintaining the integrity of God's image through people, then they were just and righteous. So please bear in mind that when you read the Bible, 
you need to learn biblical context. It's very important that we don't read too much into the text or we're trying to make things fit. We're trying to fit the Bible, not it fit us. So the context of these scriptures was one of a farming community and a patriarchal society. So families took care of one another. So in that particular Old Testament ancient society, that left certain individuals vulnerable. The Bible is not telling us that it is limited to these four and five individuals, the Levite, the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, the poor. It is not limited to these, but in that particular society and the way it was run, these were the ones who were left out and were vulnerable. So to take care of one another, they stipulated laws. The widow who no longer had a husband to provide for did not have inheritance any longer, so she was left vulnerable. The orphan did not have land and or means to get food. He was vulnerable. She was vulnerable. The immigrant or sojourner had no inheritance in Canaan because that was divvied up to the 12 tribes of Israel, the 11 tribes. They were welcomed into the, the household of Israel, but they didn't have inheritance. If you want to read a good example of this, read the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth shows us the Mishpat and the Sadiq man, Boaz, in the same scenario of taking care of an immigrant, Ruth. Ruth was an immigrant. She was a Moabite. She moved into Israel, and Boaz was a Sadiq man, and he took care of her. He gave her the gleanings. We see that illustrated in the book of Ruth. We need to see that, and we need to know that what, that's what's going on. So there were the laws that were set up. It's not limiting it to these four. In our society today, we have many people who are vulnerable because in a democracy, it leaves a lot out. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. So we have to look around ourselves as the church, the new nature people. Again, I said this in lesson one. I'm going to say it again. I'm not speaking on behalf of the world. I'm speaking on behalf of Christians. We as the church need to look around ourselves and say, who is vulnerable? You, don't, you may not be able to save the entire world. Look within your local congregation and say, who's vulnerable here? Is it the elderly? Is it uh, the black person? Is it the Asian? Who in your church, if people would take care of their communities within their, their local spheres and who they could reach out and touch, and if every church across the globe did this, then the entire world, Christian-wise, would begin to be taken care of. I just want to throw some things at you to help you tonight. So when I explained it, don't trim the corners of your field. Give from your excess. You don't need all of this. So it's important to note that we don't just take care of these groups of people. We are also, the, the, the premise, the, the precedence that the Bible is setting up for us is to look after those in your society who are vulnerable and seek justice. Micah says, seek justice. Walk humbly. This is, this is what he's telling us to do, to love people. So there would be people who would want to be a part of Israel. These would be sojourners. These would be immigrants. We see Ruth doing that. She clave unto her mother-in-law, and she went home with her and declared, Your God shall be my God. This was an immigrant. And the immigrant came into this just society because they saw the image of God is protected here. Now, get the context here that Ruth in her society, they would, she would have been living in a city where they bowed down to the image of a king. And she goes to Israel, and she's looking around herself and says, Oh my goodness, we worship the one true king and we are his image. You have to grasp that because the Bible comes to light so much more profoundly in this that Ruth would have been from a society that was bowing to a pagan image. And then she goes and she says, now I'm the image? This is mind-blowing. Of course I'll take care of other people because they're taking care of me. This is the church. This is what we are. So with all of that being known, I want to throw at us, and I'm closing right here, our candy stick scripture. We love Acts 2.38 as apostolics, but we need to finish what happens after Acts 2.38.
with everything I just read, with all of that being known, I want you to read with me the scripture and you determine within your soul what this scripture is talking about. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor. That word favor is the Greek word charis, which is where we get the word grace. Having grace with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'm not going to try to make you see what that means. I want your spirit to tell you what it means without me trying to prod you and, and make you see it. Right here, we have a group contextually of new-natured people filled with the Spirit. They were now the holy mountain that Moses stood at. They had opened their mouths, and out came the evidence of a voice. Now they're new-natured, and written upon their hearts was now the law, and they became the tabernacle. All of this is being transformed and made new in this moment. And this new-natured people looked around and said, Who's vulnerable amongst us? Let me give from my excess and make sure that God's image is preserved. Justice and righteousness is the sign of new-natured people. I'm going to end it right there. Study it yourself. It's the major theme. In the next lesson, I'm going to talk about justice and the prophets. Uh, and I'm just going to give you a quick glimpse. Activism is when we speak out vocally against injustice. That is what every prophet did. They protested. They did it in a godly, righteous matter, manner. But that is what the prophets were doing. And we will explore that in great detail in the next lesson. In the fourth lesson, I'm going to talk about justice and Jesus. Love you. I pray that this adds to your study time. I pray that it opens our eyes and helps us understand what we're supposed to do as the church. We are to seek justice. Walk humbly. We are to look around our local communities and find the vulnerable. I, I tell you a great place you can start. On the United Pentecostal Church International website, there is a group of things that you can begin to give your finances, you can give your excess to. There is a, there's the Lighthouse Ranch for Boys. This is where troubled teens go, and we have an organization. You can bless that. There's a place for adoption. Uh, you can bless that. There's She's for Christ. That's blessing missionaries, uh, different people around the world. There's North American Missions. That's blessing our missionaries here on, on American soil. There's tons of things. Each denomination should have a, a series of things that are set up so that we can participate in giving from our excess to bless those that are vulnerable. I challenge you this week, look around you and discern who is vulnerable amongst you. Is it a family member? Is it a brother or sister in the church? Is it a neighbor? Seek them out and do what you can for them. That is the church and the sign of the new nature people. I'll see you next week as we talk about justice and the prophets.